Anyway, good morning. Good to be here. Hopefully you've all had a little more sleep than me. I've only had two hours. So that's okay. That's my fault. Um, so don't know if you are on Facebook or not. If you were, hopefully you saw my little video just sort of introing Noah and uh, sort of painting a picture of a perfect world, a beautiful world that has completely gone to crap, literally. So there is just bad stuff happening everywhere all the time. That's what we're dealing with today. Uh, it's called Noah and End. So an end to certain things, an end of an age, an end of an era, an end of a perfect world. So let us get into the Bible. Uh, Genesis 6 and 7 is what I told you to look up and read. And I know it's a very long passage to read the whole thing, but I'm actually, I do want to do that because I feel like the true power of any sort of preaching comes from God's Word. So I'm not too worried about reading it all to you, no matter how long it takes. So if you want to follow me along, I will read Genesis 6 and 7. And I'll start now. Genesis 6, verse 1. Uh, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married them. <clears throat> they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were in the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the hearts, sorry, of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made mankind and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created, and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy them, both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper, de and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Halfway there, one more chapter. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal 
a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons, his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, according, sorry, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals were going in, male and female of every living, every living thing, as God had commanded Noah, and then the Lord shut him in. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the high heavens, under the entire heavens, were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land died. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that the breath of life, that had the breath of life in its nostrils, died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. So, very long passage, I'm sorry about that, but as I said, I do believe that the true power we have is in God's word. So, what do you notice? Um, I'll ask, as always, a few questions, but what do you notice about Noah from that passage? Just call out any observations that stood out to you. He was obedient. He always did whatever God told him, yes. He talked to God, yeah. Sorry, Sarge? He walked with God. Adrian, you said the same thing, basically. What was that? Cool. He was righteous, yes. God found favor with him, found him righteous. Okay, cool. What do you notice about the rest of humanity? Yeah, pretty much the opposite in every way. Um, what's the specific sin that God calls them out on? Violence, yes. We all know how that started back with Mr. Cain. And it seems to have continued and gotten worse and worse and worse. And finally, what does this passage reveal about God? What did you notice about God? He's just. He's grieved. He regretted making humankind the pinnacle of his creation. He's like, I'm sick of these guys. I'm sorry I made them. Keeps a rem remnant for himself, yes. Sorry? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So he was grieved that he'd made man and his heart was filled with pain. So God can feel pain. He can feel regret. But he made us, he made the human race. He's like a father to all of his children. Can you imagine those of you who are parents regretting making one of your children? <laughs> Tiff can. <laughs> She's going. We just, you probably all know by now, but Sarah and I just lost a little baby. We had another miscarriage. I know some people have had lots of them, but we can't imagine regretting making a child. We can really imagine having them stick around and wishing that they could be here, but we can't, re we can't even fathom how bad someone would have to be for you to regret making them, to regret them ever having existed. And that's the kind of feeling God is having here. So that's pretty crazy. Um, I'm going to now just pull out a few observations of my own. I wish I had a nice graphic for you, but I don't. But I did some little calculations and looked up some um, graphs to see sort of like when did this flood happen? How long after the creation was it? And there's different theories and ideas, but it seems to have happened about 1,600 years after creation. And you sort of get that by going, how long did each guy live? When did they have their son? And adding it all up. Uh, so some interesting things. Uh, Noah is the 10th generation from Adam. He's from the line of Seth, obviously. Uh, he's born around the year 1056, about 1,000 years after creation, just after Adam has died, only a few years after the first man's died. Uh, Noah's father is Lamech, and he seems to have been a righteous man as well. Uh, he gives a kind of prophetic sort of insight into Noah when he names him. He says uh, he was named Comfort, which means rest. And he said, Lamech said, this one will comfort us in the labor and the painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. So interestingly, Lamech seems to have had some prophetic insight as well. So he was probably walking with God as well. Lamech's interesting as well. His father, Methuselah, um, named him interestingly as well. He had a kind of insight um, about him. And Methuselah himself, when Enoch, the guy that was taken that Ben talked about, who was Methuselah's father, Noah's great-grandfather, he named him. Methuselah's name um, has some prophetic insight as well. Uh, when Methuselah's named, Enoch says, uh, when he dies, the judgment will come. Methuselah died in the year of the flood, which is kind of interesting. So there's a kind of faithful line that we can see um, from Seth down, from Adam to Seth, right down to Noah. Ten generations of men and their families who faithfully walked with God. And yet, as Ben pointed out um, the last time when we looked at Enoch, each of these guys had other sons and daughters. And we're only following one particular line here from Adam to Noah. So all those other guys have spread out and done their thing and had their families and increased upon the earth. And that's Seth, Seth's line. We're only told about Seth and Cain. But every one of those guys, including Adam and Eve, had other sons and daughters. So humanity has grown. It's spread out. It's become... And God says at this point that all humanity has gone astray. Every intention of the heart of all mankind was only evil continually. Pretty crazy thing to say. Like, um, every single person has evil in their heart. We know that to be true because of the stain of sin. So anyway, um, one question that I thought about was, if, if Seth's line down to Noah are righteous and have this kind of walk with God, passing on generation, generation going on, why are they the only ones? Why was it that when it was Noah's time, he was the only one that God found righteous? Pretty horrible. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have an answer for that completely, but uh, we know that Cain's line pretty much started on a bad trajectory and kept going that way. We don't really know a lot about all the others, but there's a few interesting thoughts. So have a look at the start of uh, chapter 6 again. Wickedness continues in the heart of man 
the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. So these guys are a bit um, mysterious. We don't really know a whole lot about them. Um, in fact, these four verses in Genesis 6 is pretty much all we ever get told about them and some other references here and there. Um, so the Nephilim are some kind of beings which are great and powerful. It says there that they were the, human, sorry, the heroes of old, men of renown. Um, there's speculation that they may be fallen angels. They may have um, procreated with human women. But whoever and whatever they were, they were an evil influence on mankind. That's pretty easy to establish. Uh, they're the heroes of old, the men of renown, giants in the land. People followed them. They were the rulers, the leaders, the influencers, and they're bad because everyone that follows them ends up far away from God. So after we get finished with them, Genesis 6-5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Only evil all the time. Do you know anyone that you can say that of? Christian, non-Christian? Can you think of your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your friend, your Tony, the guy that wanders around town, the homeless guy that we've all given lifts and bought meals for? Is he only evil all the time? All right, Hitler, Trump, are they only evil all the time? I'm not putting those two together, just saying. <laughs> uh, is anyone ever evil all the time? Well, no, everyone has a capacity for righteousness in them but everybody has a stain of sin. And in this world, there is less and less influence of God. Do you notice that this time when God speaks and says um, in the first part there that uh, 6.3, my spirit will not always contend with humanity for they are mortal and their days will be 120 years. That's the first time God's actually recorded as, being spo as speaking to humans since Cain. It's the first recorded words we have of God since Cain. Now, we know Enoch walked with him and he was not, and others certainly would have heard from God. But these are the first words recorded since God said to Cain, not so, I'll mark you and no one will kill you. So it's interesting. It seems that God is becoming quite remote. As wickedness increases, it's harder and harder to find God. It's harder and harder to find someone that walks with God. And by the time Noah's around, I also find it curious that Noah's born shortly after Adam dies. So the, the first man, the one that actually walked with God face to face in the garden, kind of the staying influence, if you like, on Seth's line, the one who they can all ultimately go to and say, what was it like to walk with God, has died. And it's after this that God says every inclination of human hearts was only evil all the time. So, yeah, that's both curious and telling, I guess, for me, because it really shows how a person of influence, someone who walks with God can be a really staying influence, not just on their family, but on the entire world. That's part of our calling too. Um, if we walk well with God, it affects people around us. If we don't, only evil all the time. Okay, so I want to look now a little bit more about Noah. So uh, Noah found favor with God. Uh, he was a righteous man. He was blameless among his generation. Pretty interesting thing to say. Now, the inverse of what I just asked, can you say of anyone that they are blameless in their generation? Do you know anyone who is completely blameless? Men, you're not allowed to say your wives to get brownie points. Maybe your little kids, like they haven't done anything too bad yet. But is there anybody that we could truly say is completely blameless? I'd say no. So, is God saying that Noah's perfect? Nope. 
but in comparison to everybody else, he's pretty much perfect. Like, he hasn't done anything um, that is completely evil. He finds favor with God, and Peter, um, in the New Testament, calls Noah a preacher of righteousness, so he didn't keep it to himself. He was known for being a man that walked with God. He preached about it. He taught people about God. Okay, so in verse 7, God decides at last he'll wipe out the entire human race. He regrets having made mankind. They've become so evil that his patience has run, runs out completely. Yet Noah finds favor with him. Hebrews talks about Noah in the famous Hebrews faith chapter, the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. Um, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. See there, it says, by his preaching, he condemned the world, right? No, by his faith, by his obedience, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness. Noah was faithful. He feared God and he obeyed him. And he told other people about it. He was a preacher of righteousness. Even though the entire world around him was literally going to crap. The unbelieving, wicked, violent world was getting worse and worse to the point where God turns his back on them and says, I regret having made you guys. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to drown you all. Okay, so the character of God. Let's move on there. Um, you talked a little bit about some of the um, things we noticed about God. Just to rephrase that question, what characteristics does God display in this story? So um, Tim was talking about the joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you see any joy? from God in this passage? No. Some? What do you th where do you think there's some to do? Sorrow? Yep. Okay. So sorrows are characteristics. Love? Yep. An incredible love. Yeah. If he didn't care about them, he wouldn't regret making them. Be like, oh, look at these guys. Well, that experiment went wrong. <laughs> Start again. Um, grace? Yeah. He's incredibly gracious. Provides a way of escape. Um, somebody already mentioned justice earlier. Um, when I talked about Cain, remember how I said God met him and gave him an opportunity not to kill Abel? He's like, sin is crashing at your door. You must rule over it. And then I said that um, God is merciful. He keeps, he bends over backwards to give people opportunities to repent and to turn around. And he does it here. How long was Noah building this ark? Yeah, somewhere in the vicinity of 100, 120 years. We don't know exactly. But yeah, it was, it was quite a period of time. And do you think it would have gone unnoticed by the people of his time? <laughs> some bloke, some crazy kooks out in the middle of a forest building a big boat. Now, the pre-flood world probably didn't even have any vast oceans. It was mostly landmass, as far as we can tell. I mean, no, we don't know for sure. But it was mostly landmass with a few large kind of lake things. And it never rained up to this point. The Bible tells us that before the flood, there was no rain. So, somebody's building a giant boat and going crazy talking about the end of the world. What's a modern day um, adaption of that? The aliens are coming to get us. There's an asteroid that's going to wipe out the Earth. So let's build a rocket ship and only the faithful, the Mormons, no, only the faithful will be saved. Pretty crazy. Would you believe a guy like that? So what I'm getting at is Noah's obedience to God would have made him stand out. It would have made him be ridiculed. 
it would have made him be the laughingstock of the entire world, or anybody that knew about him at least, and yet he doesn't stop. He continues not just building it and obeying God, but preaching to other people, telling them, doom is at hand, you need to sort yourselves out. So, application for us, obey God even if it makes you be ridiculed and don't keep quiet about it. So here I see that God is grieved. The biggest thing that I notice about this is he is really grieved. It really hurts him to see his children, just every inclination of their heart being evil all the time. But he reaches a point where he's like, they're beyond saving. I have to do something about this. And that's his justice coming out. There is a point where God cannot stand evil anymore and he has to do something about it. It's in his character. But consistent with his character is his mercy, his grace. He provides a way of escape, the ark. He says to Noah in Genesis 6.18, I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. He starts again. The old covenant with Adam for all humankind, a perfect world, is ending. I'm going to establish a new covenant with you, Noah. And interestingly, of course, sets up a, a prelude to Jesus with the whole one way to escape the coming doom. Okay, so let's look at the end of the old world. The whole flood thing, I'm not going to go into the building of the ark or any of that sort of stuff. There's a heap of different things I could cover, but no time. Um, this is the very end of an age. So for over a thousand years, humanity has lived in this wonderful environment. Okay, kicked out of the garden, so it's not perfect. But it's still an almost perfect world. It's idyllic. People can live to nearly a thousand years old. Can you imagine what you could do in a thousand years? What if everybody lived for about that long? Well, you wouldn't need the internet for information sharing. You'd just go chat with the guy that discovered it 600 years ago. How many families might you have? How many discoveries might you make? How many degrees might you get? How many different careers might you have in a thousand years? And it kind of looks like, from um, what we can tell, that a hundred years was to them as a decade is to us. So decade to us, century to them. So someone in their 600s might look like they're starting to get into their 60s. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy the amount of time they could. So what does this lead to? Okay, well, if the vast majority of people are still alive, information sharing is easy. Um, talking about history, uh, discoveries, learning about the world is easy. Forging civilizations is easy. We know that Cain was building a city, and Cain's one of Adam's sons. So if he starts building cities, there needs to be a lot of people around for them, and you need a lot of technology, a lot of systems, a lot of infrastructure to run a city. And that's one generation after Adam. This is 10 generations later. I hypothesize that humanity has spread all over the earth, and they are highly advanced. They are technologically intense. Um, they understand a lot of things because they have access to everybody that's come before them, because pretty much everybody's still alive. And people start dying off. Adam dies first, well, not necessarily first. I mean, Abel died before him, he was killed. But the first man dies when he's 930. So this is really an idyllic world in some ways. Um, the climate's great. Everyone's, um, everyone has easy access to one another. There's plenty of technology. And God speaks to people face to face when they seek him, the righteous people. So even when they had it perfect, like in the garden, humans suck. You'd think that as you live longer and longer, you'd learn more and more and become better and better, right? You'll 
slowly improve yourself as you learn lessons and you don't repeat the same dumb mistakes you made in your 20s, right? So now think about that like over a thousand years. Is it so hard to imagine that they slowly get worse and worse and worse to the point where every imagination of their heart is only evil continually? Jealousy, hatred, greed, violence, everybody trying to one-up everybody else. And then there's the Nephilim in the mix as well, whatever they were up to, whoever they were. So this was a perfect world. This was um, a wonderful place to live. And yet, with, with the coming of the flood, it ends forever. It's all gone. Um, Noah and his family are the only ones that survive. A sample of the animals survives, um, but the old world is ruined. I'm not going to get into the science of it because I'm not a geologist. I spoke to a friend of mine who was a geologist during the week and he nearly blew my brain with all the possibilities for how it could have happened. Things like catastrophic plate tectonics and um, ugh, lots of other things that he talked about that I didn't understand. But anyway, when the fountains of the great deep were broken up, the world was ruined. Something happened that catastrophically broke the world. Um, there's a heap of water that was underneath the crust of the earth. It came out and all the water that was above the earth came down. Result, drowned. Old world drowned, gone forever. <clears throat> a lot of things were lost with this. It's the end of long life. Um, Eden is lost forever, not just guarded by an angel. We'll never find it now. Um, we now have 70% of the planet covered with water, and there are, they're only just starting to discover um, ancient technology and ancient cities underwater. Uh, are they from before the flood? Are they from before the oceans rose in Ice Age? Whatever, we don't know. But we lost a lot when the flood ruined the world. So God's, God's um, intention in this was to judge the world. Um, I'm just going to go back to the start. I'll probably lose my place, but anyway. The first time God says, um, I think it's verse 6, um, anyway, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, the creatures move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. And then the very next verse is, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It seems like God's intention was to completely wipe them out. I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race. But then immediately Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's like God was thinking about them going, yep, I can't even think of one. Wait a minute. Yes, I can. All right. Awesome. Redemption story. Let's save that guy. Let's get him to build a giant boat. And our world is not much different today. Our world was not much different when Jesus came. There wasn't many that were righteous. So Noah spends around 100 years building his ark, preaching repentance and faith to mankind. God spends thousands of years using the Jewish nation and the prophets to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. At the time of the flood, there was only one way to be saved. Had to get on the ark. You had to be saved from the old world by faith and obedience, even though you looked like an idiot and got ridiculed for doing it. You had to go through the door of the ark. Today, there's only one way to be saved from the evil old world, from the evil old stain within. Because if God's intention was to wipe out evil with the flood, he failed. Did I just say God failed? <laughs> no, I said if his intention was to wipe out evil, he failed. Because evil survived on the ark in the hearts of mankind, and it has been with us ever since. 
But God knew that just as he could redeem them then by saving them in the ark, he could redeem us now. He knew that one day the seed of the woman that would come and crush the, the snake's head would arise from Noah's line, would arise from Adam's line. King Jesus would come and die for us and provide a way that we can regain paradise, restore Eden. There is another judgment coming. As you all know, we've done Revelation. Uh, next time, we're not going to get drowned. We're going to get cooked. The entire world is going to get burned up, immolated, exploded, imploded, take your pick. Fire eats everything. Water can be survived, but fire consumes all. Evil will not escape next time. Every human who's not taken Jesus as Lord will be destroyed with this old world. And the carpenter king with the scarred hands will make all things new forever. So how do we meet God Almighty in this story? How do we first see God? He is grieved at what the world has become, at what his creation has made of themselves and what they've, how they've ruined his world. How do we last see God in this story? Mercy, kindness, redemption, a chance for a new beginning. And that's what Ben's going to talk about. Um, well, Adrian's up next, but Ben's going to pick up Noah with a beginning. So I want you to think about that. The character of God, does it ever change? This is the one thing that I hang on to. My faith really isn't all that emotional. I don't really have lots of lovey-dovey times with God. I never have. But I rest in this one fact. God doesn't change. Nothing ever surprises him, and he says he loves me. So all I've got to do is obey him just like Noah. God himself closed the door to the ark when time ran out for humanity. Time is running out again, and one day soon God will close the door to heaven. If you haven't cast yourself on the mercy of God Almighty by clinging to his son Jesus, you need to do it soon. And who will you take with you? Who will go onto the ark with you? Who will you leave behind? I want to finish up um, with another passage that's a little bit about Noah but I also want to lead into communion with this. This was actually spoken by our Lord, King Jesus himself. Um, <clears throat> and he references Noah to make a point. So just listen to this. It's from Matthew 24, 35 to 39. And as I said, I'm going to use it to lead into communion. Um, Matthew 24, starting at 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and not let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Be ready. That was the ultimate message of our Revelation series. Be ready for our King is coming back soon. I'm just going to pray, and then we'll have communion. Dear King Jesus, uh, we love you, we praise you, we sing songs to you. Um, but how easy it is for us to forget you in the cares of this world when we're surrounded by people who are parts good, parts bad. There's not really anyone we could say is blameless and there's not really anyone we could say who is only evil all the time. 
but we are surrounded by people who don't love you, who don't know you, who don't walk righteously before you, just as Noah was. Help us to look to you. Help us to be righteous. Help us to obey you no matter the cost, no matter what it makes us look like, and help us to tell others why we do. Help us to warn them of the coming doom. Help us to meet you, God Almighty, the lover of humanity, the saviour of the earth, and you, King Jesus, who bled and died for us on the cross. Thank you. Please help us not to forget you. Please help us to own you as our Lord, even when it costs us. Help us to follow you throughout the week, not just on a Sunday or a Wednesday night or whenever we're with people who love you, but even when we're with people who don't. Help us reach out with the same kind of compassion and grace that you do. And help us now as we remember you, that you are always with us to the end of this age, the one that's going to end in fire, not water. You are with us as you are with them. You're with us today. Amen.